0: Structures are not serving us well. We need to creatively destroy the ships that brought us here and move into the land of the future with better tools. Tools that keep us safer and healthier, that create more wealth for more people, that foster more intimate and rewarding relationships. We need to leave behind what is not working. We need a modern revolution we invite here, they are thinking differently. And we'll tell you where you can learn all about them later, after you have listened to them closely. For now, we don't want to impress you with what they have done. We want to impress you with what they have to say. The Modern Revolution will be podcasted.
1: Okay, welcome to the Modern Revolution. Here we talk about guests who are multifaceted and affecting the world in many positive ways, not just for themselves, but for all of us. In our podcast, we don't spend a lot of time talking about their resume. Um, We're not trying to imply that because of their past accomplishments, you must believe everything they say. Instead, we're inviting our guests to speak about their experiences and intentions first. And then inviting you to listen closely to them, should their ideas resonate to you, you can learn much more about them and the work they do at our show notes, the Today's guest, his modern revolutionary uh, Kimber Lamming. And Kimber, I, you know, I understand you are a multi-dimensional person, and all the people that we bring here you know, have many facets to them, and your work is affecting us in many ways but if i may what i want to ask you is to distill your mission in the world in some simple terms and a phrase or you know a way to kind of sum it up you know kind of wrap it up in a in a single short uh, either sentence or a couple of sentences you know what i'm saying what how would you do that
2: Sure. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, my work revolves around building an economy that is inclusive and diverse, that enables everyone to participate in the economy to build a healthy and prosperous life for themselves and their families. And everything we do touches that uh, inclusive economy work.
1: So you're you're building structures, it sounds like, and creating opportunities that um are touching people that without your work wouldn't have a chance to have these opportunities that you're creating and I, I i one of the um and i don't know if that's an exact paraphrase but maybe you could kind of tie that into like what what is the problem in the world that you're looking to solve like how can you connect your mission with like what what is the problem you're working on in its most basic uh, element
2: yeah, so um, so the American economy is no longer working for the majority of the people. Uh, in fact, Forbes just issued a huge article saying, you know, how the real American economy is doing, and it's not doing well. So the wealthy are doing very, very well, but um, you can see no matter what city you live in, The housing encampments that have, um, the encampments that have burgeoned up with uh, all of the homeless people. Mm -hmm. Uh, We see people working two or three jobs just trying to keep food on their plate. We see enormous swaths of the population that don't have access to healthy food so our systems are breaking down and so the issue that i'm trying to get at is is inequity which means that there are large and growing numbers of americans who who have been excluded from participating in a prosperous american economy and that is through policies that have been enacted over the last 25 to 30 years that have favored large corporations over uh, small families and so we need to uh, come up with solutions and that's what we're doing at Local First Arizona foundation is coming up with solutions to break down some of those barriers and enable people to simply participate and prosper.
1: So as the executive director at Local First in Arizona Um, your observation uh, of the of our local circumstances um, it sounds like you feel like mirror the national uh, circumstances and um, you know there's a what I'm hearing is that there's a great unfairness that isn't by accident um, that there were mechanical um, steps that moved us in a particular direction that has resulted in an unfairness in the society where it sounds like uh, the smaller um, interests, maybe the individual and family interests, perhaps small business interests, have been disadvantaged by um, the policies. And, and perhaps there are other things other than government policies that have happened that have kind of knuckled under um, the little guy, the little guy in the form of a small business or, or uh, an individual worker. I mean, is that a good paraphrase or...
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I think that large parts of our population have been disadvantaged, and um I think others uh, who would call themselves middle class don't realize it's sort of a boiling frog syndrome, and they're working much harder uh for fewer dollars and um, and that's happening everywhere. so when we get into systems work, um, we start looking at different ways that um, these problems have grown um, and we look at the policies that have impacted them and then we work on solutions to try to work around or or change those policies. Um, so, there are a few different things we could talk about, but I think one that's been top of mind for me is um, the way we have seen the banking industry evolve over the last 20 years. Um, and specifically thinking about the lack of access to capital for working-class and lower-income folks. So um, we certainly can look out in the landscape and see uh, an eruption of check-cashing, title-loan-type places. We call them predatory Mm -hmm. lenders because they're lending to people at enormous interest rates. And so... A lot of folks mistakenly look at that and they think, well, people have to go there if they've blown their credit score. Um, But what if I told you that wasn't true? What if people had to go there because there weren't any other options or that they didn't even know how to get a credit score? Um, So that's what we do is we come in and we assess the situation and figure out what, what, what the problem is that's causing these symptoms. So with the rate of businesses failing, uh, with people falling into poverty from the middle class, um, we see that a root cause of that is a lack of access to capital. and. Uh, if you're not a business owner and you're listening, you may be scratching your head. Um, but if you're a business, if you're a small business owner right now in Arizona. We have eight counties where there's no local bank with a local decision maker to give you a loan. So let's just say you are the owner of a print shop that you've been there for 17 years and you need a $30,000 loan to buy a new piece of equipment just to stay competitive and retain your existing clients. I'm not talking about growing or anything just to stay competitive. There's no one in eight counties in Arizona that's going to be able to give you that loan. And so what happens then is people say, I'll see the small businesses can't stay competitive and isn't that sad, a print shop closed and maybe they have three to five employees, and and people think that's the end of it. And so we're trying to call attention to the fact that it's a much deeper systemic problem, that we need to be on high alert to try to retain every small business we can, particularly in our rural parts of the state, because they not only provide those three to five jobs in the business, They also keep dollars recirculating in that community when they hire a local accountant or a local graphic designer or website developer. Um, That keeps dollars recirculating and job opportunities in that community. So we need to look very broadly at the implications
1: and then figure out what those
2: solutions are.
1: So, I mean, when I listen to you describe that to me, it also kind of lends itself to the inverse in that um, what – I'm hearing you describe to me is that decision-making as it relates to who gets access to financial resources have been um, moved perhaps perhaps it wasn't always like this but then moved from where there's a relationship between the person that's making decision and the place from which they come from and so the notion of how is it impacting my, the decision that I make as a provider of capital, how does that impact my community? And instead people are making decisions at um, an aggregate level, right? A national level Mm -hmm. where they're Mm -hmm. perhaps aggregating up the risk into pools. And so, you know, they're saying, well, at these tranches of credit risks or whatever, we're willing to extend this much credit, um, which decouples it from, Hey, in my own community, if I support this particular business, I know what that means to us. Um, and so moving the decision-making to who gets access to what from the people who are closest to the benefits um, and instead moving it to some impersonal uh, or a less personal, I guess. I mean, there's always people at these big companies too, so it's not, but it, seems to me that those guys would be more interested in the risk and have much less risk tolerance because they got a thousand communities to pick where they would deploy that capital versus somebody that really understands who these people are i mean is that part of the consequences and is that like what Mm -hmm. you're moving us towards and then what we're in conflict with is that do i understand absolutely
2: absolutely and so you you hit on a few key things So bankers used to be focused on the communities in which they served. And so those are today's community banks and they still are, it's just that they're few and far between arizona there's 13 community banks here in arizona and combined they hold a seven percent market share so they're harder to come by but they do still have a bank president that will come out look at your business look at your situation and make a make a loan that could be a calculated risk whereas with your non-local underwriting you may have a great local guy who's in the field Um, who just comes away thinking, for sure we're going to do this loan. But again, he sends it to the underwriter on the other side of the country, and it comes back, no, time and time and time again. And so we've really gone to work at um, moving money. And so what what we have is a campaign called Move Your Money that encourages businesses and everyday residents and even governments To move their money into our community banks where their task, their entire charter is here in Arizona. They are tasked with lending locally. That's how they make money. So our community banks lend money here in Arizona at a four times higher rate than their non local counterparts. And so um, it's really important that people, everyday folks, understand where their money is sitting is critically important and they need to make sure that money is in a bank where they know where it's going to be lended back. So another thing just to consider is as the big banks have gotten bigger and bigger ever since the bailout, we we put policies in place that, that are really not too challenging or cost prohibitive to the biggest of banks but are incredibly challenging and cost-prohibitive to the smaller banks. So again, advantaging the large over the small, and that's just not smart. We, um, We have a lot of economists who are saying the amount of money and resources that we as a nation have deposited just in Chase, Wells Fargo, and Bank of America Um, are is way too big and is risky for our nation Um, and we need to make sure that we are diversifying our funding and keeping it as close to home as we possibly can which keeps capital being loaned out which is like oxygen to our small businesses which are the ones that are keeping dollars and jobs right here in the community so people need to really understand that difference one other thing i will just say is that we uh, at local first we did an assessment um, back in 2009 and 10 and at this time we had 96 percent of our collective arizona money deposited in non-local banks and 76 percent of that was just in the three biggest banks and during those two years those three banks combined loaned approximately 18 million dollars back into Arizona companies. 18 million, which is a, a grossly small number for how much mm-hmm. of their money we actually right. had, and the average loan size was two million dollars. And I don't know a single small business that needs two million bucks. Right? They need 25,000 to 250,000. Um, and so that basically puts a chokehold on Arizona's economy when our money that we've deposited is lent out far, far away from here.
1: So, I mean, in, if the average was $2 million, then we know that there was more, there were loans that were more than $2 million. And so, um, in effect, uh, you know, in on, on, on some sort of average, they made nine bets uh in arizona is kind of what i'm hearing roughly mm-hmm. compared right. to if you break down however many loans at 75 50 25 thousand dollars, how okay. many businesses you know you bet against um your pool becomes very broad uh and um perhaps you cherry picked you know the nine or ten best businesses that perhaps really what you're doing is giving them a chance to grow but you're not really there's no incubation, uh, for a business that needs $2 million and, and above. I want to take a step back, um, from the specific thing and, and, and you're, <laughs> you're stepping up against extraordinary interests and power. You're, um, you know, what we're talking about here puts you against some of the most powerful influences and in the country. And <clears throat> I would argue probably in the world so uh, sure. that's, that's audacious, and, it's, and I respect that and, 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 uh, and appreciate that. And so I want to ask you, is this sort of role that you play in, in our local, you know, it's really political and, and economic, but, you know, this role that you've elected to take, is this the type of thing that you were always um, thinking you were going to work on? Was it incremental? Or was there an epiphany for you that like, hey, listen, there's a I see this incredible unfairness. And so this is I'm going to, this is my fight, I'm taking on this like we, And maybe it's a combination of both. But maybe you could describe your road to taking on what as to be a pretty intimidating, uh, you know, fight to be in really hmm
2: mm-hmm. So, you know, my background is as a small business owner, and I happen to be in the music industry, which is really a David and Goliath industry. We are working with Sony Music and Warner Brothers, who are constantly stepping all over the small independent retailer in favor of the Walmarts. And we were always battling just for a, a, an even level playing field. That's all we wanted. We didn't want anything favored or any um, anything special. We just wanted a level playing field. And so that really, um, some of the wins that we had were really shaped me in my ability to deeply understand that the power of small and independent retailers or the power of individuals focused on a shared common goal can topple or re cause a big the biggest companies in the world to rethink their approach and that's just it is Americans need to be re- reminded that we're in the driver's seat i mean we we talk about let's just use nike we we want to stop sweatshops we don't like how people are treated if you know, 40 million Americans agreed to no longer buy Nike shoes until they stopped their practices. How quickly do you think they would stop their practices? But instead, we continue to buy Nike shoes and complain about the way they treat people on the other side of the world. I'm just using that as an example. It's from several years ago. But the bottom line is we, we control that. If if we want to rein in the big banks, there's only one group of people that can do that, and it's the American, it's the Americans, right? We we can actually control that, and so right. um, I really strongly believe that once people start to wake up, they will change their behavior. You know, and I, I joke, you know, in one of my talks, I say, you know, who here is environmentally conscious? And people will raise their hand, right. and I will say, okay. So you may have gone out and you've bought yourself a Prius and you're a recycler and you've got solar panels on the roof of your home and you're doing everything right. you can. But if your money is sitting in Wells Fargo, I will tell you that it is invested in coal and oil and some of the worst environmental practices in the world. And they are also fighting against better regulations that would impact their, those companies' requirements to be more eco-friendly. And so your money is not invested in a values-aligned institution, and you need to be accountable for that. Uh, you need to move that money into an institution that is values-aligned, or you may as well go buy a Hummer and throw plastic water bottles out the window. You you, you have to understand that these things are connected. Um, and so that's what we do is we educate in a fun and enlightening way to get people to take their power back.
1: Yeah, so it sounds to me like in terms of was this incremental or was this in an epiphany? It sounds like in in you you've been the recipient of this conflict in different ways um, along the way in your own life as a small business owner in competition with large forces, and so you had sort of a firsthand look at, hey, um, here's the, the the you know there's always David's and Goliath's in you know in our economy there's always established versus not established big versus small and and that's it has always been the case to a certain extent but it sounds to me that as you've gone along from being on the receiving end of that sort of short end of the stick I mean for you it, it, it seems to me what you're describing is an amplification of the David and Goliath story where it's just gotten out of hand. Um, well, that's I mean, is it.
2: That, Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean we you say we've always had uh, big and small and and that's true to an extent but the ratio of the gap if you will between big and small was significantly smaller for the first 170 years of this country right and, right, and right. so um what we're doing now is we've elected people who are passing policies that disproportionately advantage the the big I mean, even America's antitrust laws, those laws held us through checks and balances to a fair level playing field in our capitalist society for a very long time. And we've dismissed those now. And we're saying that corporations are people, too. And we're saying that um, that bigger is better and that it's okay if one big, huge company controls too much of one particular sector. That's okay. And it didn't used to be that way. And it's been um, slowly changing, and many people are very aware of it, and other people aren't aware of it at all. But those bigger is better policies are disadvantaging, disadvantaging the everyday American, and they're, in fact, putting the entire US economy at risk. What we're doing is siphoning money into the top, not 1%, but 0.1 of 1%, right? Slowly it is aggregating um, and we see our billionaires increasing uh, their net worth by billions of dollars while more and more folks in the middle class drop into poverty. And And that is very deliberate and it is it is something that Americans need to wake up and recognize in the way we're you know the way our policies are drafted and the people that we're putting in control.
1: Yeah, I mean, in some senses, when I think about this in an agricultural sense, like if you have, uh, we have these massive monocrops out there in farming land, and and if something comes in and and is bad for a single plant, it threatens the entire you know, large crop, and there's no chances for, you know, that um, enterprise to kind of, you can be wiped out at one time. I feel like we as a country went through a time where this was, you know, 10 years ago where we had a taste of what does it mean to have these uh, few companies threatened and you know, we made a decision to go and say, no, this is what we want to do. We want we want this. We're not going to let this fail. You know, mm-hmm. that expression, too big to fail, right? As opposed to saying, oh, you know what? Perhaps we can avoid these things in the future by changing the structure um, and diversifying risk, which under, like so many business models, is expressed as a bad, you know, like it's a good thing to do, diversify your risk. You know, we go all right. the way back to... Uh, don't put all your eggs in one basket that's exactly um, right mm-hmm. yeah, and we until and so we, we were faced with that, and so I mean it leads me to the next question, which is what um what uh, uh you know status quo you know what what assumptions are you challenging in people? I think that um, there's a lack of awareness on on one level, but then um like, what, what assumptions are you challenging in people? Because I think yeah, when you describe it that way, I mean, if you, if you use a cliche, don't put all your eggs in one basket, um, people say, well, yeah, that makes sense. But there's a disconnect between that notion and, um, and what's going on right now. So I'm, there's got to be some assumptions that folks have in the, in the, mm-hmm. in the world that um, you're challenging. And what, what are they?
2: Well, I think I think bigger is better is one. I think a lot of people go to the big, huge companies to spend their money or they put their money in the biggest banks because they think somehow it's safer or it's going to be better. And so that notion is definitely what I'm challenging. So, you know, and, and I think that there's a narrative out there that, that actually really bothers me, and that is this whole idea that, we as consumers should support small and local businesses because those small and local businesses need us to. And that, that general notion really bothers me because the reality is we should support small and local businesses because our economy fails without them, and that impacts all of us. So it turns out we really actually need mom and pop. So the way I usually describe it to folks is, is let's take a company like Starbucks. Starbucks is an outstanding company. They're the best right. chain out there. Um, I'll give you a couple of reasons why. Number one is they pay for the health care of their employees. Now. Most big chains don't do that. Um, about 25 years ago, chain stores sort of suddenly woke up and went, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying that if we just stop paying for the health care for all of these employees, that they'll end up on the state's health care plan and the taxpayers will pay that. They'll pay for it. And that's exactly what we did. So, big companies, a company like Staples, 65% of their employees here in Arizona have no health care benefits. They end up on the state health care plan, and that is funded through our taxes. We're, we picked up the bill. Um, Walmart, at their worst, had over 80% of their employees had no health care. They've gotten much yeah, better right. because of public pressure. but we need to recognize those are not cheaper prices that's actually deferred billing we're just paying for it in a different way and it's like attaching to our our economy to a lead balloon we cannot get off the ground because all of these companies are extracting wealth and profits up to their shareholders that don't live here for the most part and in exchange they brought us these jobs where they don't they're they're, there there's no future and there's no opportunity for them to uh, to provide care for themselves or their families. That is not a, that is not a cheaper price. That's a very expensive price tag. So,
1: so, they, so yeah. So you're talking about a social price tag where we've um, shifted costs away from the corporation into you know essentially the tax system, which that's right. You know then cre- mm-hmm. right then creates this environment of well, we need to raise taxes. And then they're run against, well, no, raising taxes is bad, but, you know, but well, well if we take, right? I mean, I mean, there's right. a definite, I mean, it put right. put, puts a natural conflict between, well, these are costs that were picked up by business and now are, were picked up by the taxpayer spreading those costs across everybody rather than an individual company. Am, am, I, am, am I hearing you correctly?
2: Oh, yeah, you're hearing it right, but it's not just about raising taxes, it's about budgets that don't have enough to cover both health care for the massive numbers of people who are don't have that health care, right? This is what happened to us up until about uh, four years ago. Um, and and money to pay for our parks and our libraries and our fire departments and education, right? It's not necessarily that there's always the looming threat of raising taxes. There just simply isn't enough money to go around. And that's what happens when you take large numbers of people and you put them on the state's health care program. And this has happened. Um, around the country so going back to the Starbucks example they pay for the health care of their employees which is awesome and that's what businesses used to be expected to do Um, and then the second thing they do is that they're not in the business of subsidies and so when I say subsidies a lot of people might not know what I mean by that but I mean that is government handouts in exchange for what they call job creation (laughs) but when you explore that a little bit further Take a company like Cabela's, um, Cabela's is situated out in the West Valley. They were averaging $35 million in subsidies for every store that they opened. Excuse me. Um, and so around the country, they would come in and they would send a team out to convince the city uh, and the economic developers that if we move in here, this is gonna be so beneficial to you that we're demanding payment up front. And um, so here in Glendale, uh, they actually managed to get $68 million in subsidies for one retail location. Again, $68 million. And so that money came in the form of uh, free land, uh, infrastructure. So the sidewalks and utility poles and lights outside, outside all were paid for. Um, uh, they also got a 10-year tax abatement. That means if you go in and you buy your fishing tackle and your tent and pay your sales tax, they get to keep it. And they get to keep it for 10 years. And that's money that should have been going in, again, parks, libraries, fire departments, things like that. So a lot of people, you know, Pro in Mesa got $32 Walmarts were averaging 25 to $35 million per location um, for a good 20 years straight. And we at Local First Arizona, really wanted to put a stop to that, um, but also we wanted to call attention to the fact that a company you know like starbucks doesn't do they don't come in and demand subsidies up front so we we can't you know continue to support these companies that are demanding subsidies and then go home and scratch our heads and wonder where did all the money go? We know where it went; it went to the shareholders of those companies so And to the the salaries of the high-level execs as well. But um, so I use Starbucks as an example because I I want people to understand I I am very much in favor of big companies that do good things. But even their model, let's think about it a little bit further. So let's just imagine... Here in Arizona, we've got 50 Starbucks locations. So there's probably a lot more than that, but let's just say we have 50 of them. And those 50 companies, you go in, and you buy your latte day after day after day, they have the cost of doing business. And so I will ask us to think about how many accountants, they have the cost of doing business, how many accountants do they employ here in Arizona because they do business here? And the answer is none. How many graphic designers or website developers or payroll service providers? The answer is none. Those are called secondary jobs, and they make the world go round. All of the Starbucks secondary jobs are in Washington State. Right now, if, if we replace those 15 Starbucks locations with 15 independent coffee shops, that means 15, or 50, uh, 50 independent coffee shops, 50 graphic designers had a gig doing a new logo, 15 website developers had a client, 15 accountants or bookkeepers, right? That's how we keep dollars moving through the economy. And, and it's critically important that we understand how that works, because Americans have gone out and we have rushed into Starbucks, we've rushed into Cabela's, we've rushed into Staples, you know, we we rush and spend all of our money in these company stores that do not bring value, wealth, or secondary or even tertiary jobs into our communities. So, so rethinking so let, let me how just, we're spending our money and understanding yeah. that spending money with independent locally owned companies or putting our money in independent community-driven banks or credit unions even keeps more dollars and jobs right here at home and retains that local control where we actually have a shared vision with the decision makers. This is so, our so, community. Yeah. We
1: care about education. Yeah. We're going to invest right. in it here. So, like, in terms of the question, like, um, assumptions, are you challenging? I mean, uh, in some senses, you're inviting people to have an imagination about something that they don't see, really. So, I mean, in terms of assumptions, they may see, hey, listen, I see Bank of America on every corner. I see, um, you know, these big box stores that... um, are here in, you know, every community. Um, maybe there's an assumption that, well, without that, all the things that come along with them go away and that, well, what would we do? We we, we have to have them in a certain sense. And we're, you know, I'm hearing that there has to be a bit of a imaginative leap to say, um, if, if you know, uh, I don't wanna use Starbucks as a, cause we, you know, you just have. A lot of good things about them but like if if starbucks goes away there's a vacuum that can be filled by somebody locally and that vacuum doesn't just support a single business but actually creates a a web of businesses that spring up because the needs are different there's the the, it's the opposite of economies of scale it's a you know a lack lack of scale in a certain sense um, creates a broader network of jobs which get taken away on purpose uh when you you build a big company um, because you have one hr department versus you know 50 small companies that have 50 people looking after hr of course it's less expensive um to go and so i guess that that, that leads me to my next question and I, I and i think you can amplify your previous statements to answer it i mean what what makes people see what makes people view this problem as less serious than it is. I mean, we've talked about it threatening the entire U.S. economy in, in the earlier part of the conversation, but I don't know that, that lots of people would use that language to describe what you just described. So, so what is it that you know, has people seeing this as a less serious problem than it in fact is?
2: you know i i think it's a combination of things one is there are a lot of people who are doing okay right now uh, and they don't realize um they may not be doing as well as their parents were at this phase of their lives but it's a slow boil and i think that they don't realize um that things are getting harder and harder for them um i also think we are hit with just an absolute barrage of advertising all day every day and it's really shaped our behavior if i ask anybody in in the country why does walmart have cheaper prices they would say in unison because they're bigger and they can buy at cheaper prices right they they they, they all know that it's been ingrained In them but if I said it's because they get 25 to 35 million dollars in subsidies for every store they open
0: and then they beat
2: back the pricing of the uh, companies they're buying from until they go out of business themselves and you know I could give you a million reasons why they're cheaper that aren't related to the fact that they're bigger Um, people don't they, they start to drift off they don't understand all the complexities of why those prices are cheaper, and then when you start explaining to them why they're actually more expensive, then people right. just back off entirely because it's too complicated um, it's too uh, it's too remote for them to even care about um, but yeah, the reality right, is, right. It, is it is more expensive it's costing it's, it's actually we call it that cheapest costing us a fortune um, and shifting that behavior i mean there there is though I will say. There is a whole wave of momentum all across the country, and more and more people are waking up to this fact, and um, if you've looked at any of the studies or reports that have come out about Amazon, um, it is remarkable that every single report or study will say at the end, But you know what, even though Amazon is growing by leaps and bounds, these Mm -hmm. locally owned businesses are doing way better than we ever thought they would. And in fact, more coffee shops, independent coffee shops have opened up than Starbucks locations in the last five years. More bookstores have opened up than in the 25 years prior to that, just in the last couple of years. So more and more people are recognizing that local control is way more important than we ever estimated that it was. Um, And this whole notion of economy of scale that we were taught in our government classes in high school actually doesn't apply when the prices aren't necessarily passed on to us you know it's not cheaper to buy a latte at starbucks it just it just isn't, so we need to really analyze these things that we've been taught uh, over decades of business courses and start thinking about how it's impacting
1: us locally yeah that, and, and I think you know when I listen to you describe that i mean that's uh, there are subtleties in what you just said that require a level of understanding and a level of curiosity and interest that takes um, some effort. So in terms of like, well, why do people not see this as more serious than it is, is that there's a certain lack of visibility into the things you're describing. When you talk about subsidies, um, that's a negotiation between people who or making pretty sophisticated decisions um, that for a person walking into Walmart going, well, why wouldn't I shop here? Because my individual economy is positively affected. But um, taking a step back and, and saying, like the coffee shop example is different, I think, where the prices might um, be marginally different uh, for a latte, um, whereas you know some of the other stores there might be big differences. And so people's personal, personal economy for that moment might trump the, the bigger picture that you're describing, which makes it in my mind, um, complicated and then, uh, and, and complicated is always harder to get, you know, bigger groups of people. To oh, understand, sure. Mm-hmm. You know, but, mm-hmm. but I, but I think what you're doing is creating benefits around, um, the, the the you know why because I, local heroes local connections I think uh, feel it's a different call to action if someone like feels hey of course I want to support them maybe I know them um, I mean that uh, that call to action might back its way into solving some of these big big problems <laughs> that you're you're describing and that, which which leads into the the next question which is if you you've given us some choices already but if you're going to suggest a small behavioral change that would align somebody with your vision um what's the what's the first thing you would say to them like what like what's the first step along yeah. dealing mm-hmm. with this
2: uh, you know and i really think that some of the things that you just said are, are key to why local first arizona has been so successful Um, And and the first one is there's nothing good that comes from making people feel badly or guilty about the choices that they make every day. Um, We are certainly not here to say you're a bad person if you choose this business or that business. We're here to educate and inform and then also to make it easier to shift small percentages of your spending. So, you know, we uh, we ran an entire campaign that was called the 10% Shift, in which we just encouraged people to shift 10% of their spending from a national to a local company, in an effort to aggregate dollars. And then we we uh, my colleagues in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, they um, they measured what the impact was. So if you if you took a community the size of Tucson and you got everyone there to shift 10 percent of their spending from a national to a local company it would actually create 130 million new dollars recirculating in that community and 1600 brand new jobs and um so we took that campaign out into the community and showed people look you can even shop at walmart and still impact your local economy by buying hickman's eggs or shamrock dairy products etc it's it doesn't mean that you have to go to a mom and pop for everything starting tomorrow that's not realistic but knowing those homegrown brands and even asking your big retailers to choose those brands and if you're a fan of american made you know educating and informing if you're at staples Avery is still an American company, and they're competing against all non-local. So educate, inform, make wise choices that keep dollars recirculating in the community as much as you can. Um, And and all of those choices stack up to a variety of different things. You know, a lot of folks think um, that it's really clever. Back in Arizona when Amazon wasn't even collecting sales tax, people thought, "Well, well, this is great. I don't even have to pay sales tax anymore. You know, and I was having a conversation with a woman one time where she was so proud of herself for doing all of her holiday shopping on Amazon, and she hadn't paid any sales tax. And I looked at her and I said, you know, that's interesting. Isn't your husband a firefighter? And she said, yeah, he is. And I said, well, those sales taxes actually pay his salary. Aren't they laying off firefighters, you know, right about now? Because this was during the recession. Well, her face just paled. It certainly isn't that she wants to bankrupt the fire department. It was that she never thought about where those dollars go when she spent them and so we encourage people to just make small behavioral shifts rather than trying to pitch you've got to change everything tomorrow
1: yeah and i mean when uh i um you know my eye to some of the things that you're doing with with local first i mean educate and inform i think is um when when i think about changing in behavior there's that you know, cerebral changes educate and inform. But one of the things that I see uh, you doing is telling the story of local businesses, and and um, I think uh, understanding the implications of the decisions from a macro standpoint, um, and then paired with the story of, "Hey, look who's here! <laughs> like, look, right. look who these people are." I think is. Um, is a great combination because there will be some people that self-select out that go, hey, I, you know, okay, those connections exist, and but but maybe they work for Chase Manhattan Bank or, or whatever, and they say, well, you know, on the other side of this is we well, I have a job associated with these, you know, this <laughs> company, um, and which, you know, I mean, makes for a natural conflict. But uh, when we talk about my question in terms of a small shift, if, hey, you connect to the story of these local people doing good things that, you know, um, you have an outsized impact by going and shopping with them. Um, in my opinion, will be interest. It, it is a good recipe for success, which for my next question, um, you've described a lot of great accomplishments, and I know your accomplishments are many over a long period of time, but if you wanted to take away one of your the people listening you wanted them to take away one particular victory of like when something worked uh that you put into practice what would you describe what what, what would you um what would you tell people what would you want them to remember
2: well um it's hard to choose uh one yeah. honestly so <laughs> so they we might realize local first arizona is the largest local business coalition now in north america um, so that's one. And together, collectively, we've moved $90 million into our community banks. Um, and so over the last three years, those banks have increased 3% market share. And I think that that's, that's notable. I think that, you know, people are shocked when they hear those big numbers, the more money we can put into those community banks, the better
1: off Arizona's economy will be. Yeah, I mean, boy, that's, that that's, that's a wonder. First of all, I had no idea. I'm glad to learn that it's the largest one in North America. That's amazing. Um, and as, you know, fuel to the economy, as those numbers grow, if the big banks made a bet on nine or ten businesses and then our local banks bet on, you know, 100 businesses or whatever, um, there'll be a natural attraction. <laughs> be a, I mean lots of people that will feed itself it would seem to me over time, so that's a real great practical example of something you've accomplished in addition to growing something massive that's a that's mm-hmm. uh, remarkable that you've got such an audience to focus on on these issues and you know as as we said at the beginning, you have your know, your multifaceted professional with lots of different things to learn about you um to kind of wrap things up um, where would you want people to learn more about you and local first where would you direct them and we we're going to put uh, more information at the so you don't have to remember this uh, to our listeners but but Kimber where, where would you direct people
2: yeah so if they would like to learn more about how going local can be fun and easy uh, and to find our directory with all of those local businesses you're going to go to localfirstaz.com, and then if you're interested mm-hmm. in exploring more around how we're working to create a more diverse and inclusive Arizona economy visit localfirstazfoundation.org, and that um that will really begin to look at the next layer of how we're doing this work and the successes we're having now
1: well okay terrific I um those, that website, those that information, we're going to put on themodernrevolution.com, and I would encourage you, for the folks that are listening, to to go explore um, all of the different resources that uh, that are encompassed in local first and, um, .com. Uh You know, I'm really grateful that when I've looked at that website, it's an easy place to navigate, and there's a lot of amazing information. Um, so as we Great. kind well, of I'm happy as we to hear yeah. That. Yeah, it was great. And we're my wife is a naturopathic uh, physician, Doctor Maggie Garvin and her uh, naturopathic business is is local to Chandler and she's a member and my health and wellness company, Well Run Life is a is a member as well. So oh, we are per, per, yeah, we are a participant. So Kimber, uh, as we head out I just wanna say um thank you for spending this time and it's really what the things you're talking about to me, I'm uh, just very excited to have more information in there. Um, very practical to my life. We, we talk a lot about the food system in particular and moving things more local. And there's a lot of analogies on the, the business and the financial side to what's going on in food as well. Um, so it's really great to have these other metaphors uh, as a way for me to understand where we're at as a society more completely. So thank you very much.
2: Okay oh well thank you so much for having me i i really do appreciate it. it's it been great talking to you
1: thank you so like others we've talked to is clear-eyed about our current situation and brave enough to bring her thoughts and words to the arena so let her inspire you to bring your ideas to the world don't keep them locked away the modern revolution needs all of us
0: The show notes for this show and all our shows can be found at themodernrevolution.com. So please go there where you can check out the show notes and learn more about our guests and see some of our fun videos like Tell Big Soda to Piss Off. The Modern Revolution is a production of A Well-Run Life. In Well-Run Life, we have an additional podcast by the same name, A Well-Run Life, and it's three minutes long. And should you be interested in some of our additional ideas. Peter Dealey, myself, I have a book called The Leadership Miracle, and it's 35 minutes and it's on audible.com for $3.95. So you can check us out there as well. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next episode. This podcast sounds a little bit better on the podcast player Castbox. In fact, I think of it as Podcast Bliss. They've been a great supporter of ours through this podcast and our other podcast, A Well-Run Life. And so if you haven't checked out CastBox, we encourage you to do it today.